Hello and welcome to a special edition of the In The Money Players podcast. We're going to do this separate from our usual early week show. It's almost along the lines of, of an emergency podcast, but usually we use that term when there's a big late change before a race. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, coming to you from the little house on the east side here in Saratoga on Monday, August 7th. And we bring in a guest who often talks about industry matters and often talks about our, or not often, but on our show has talked in the past about horse racing's social license to operate. Um, two things we need to discuss in the light of last weekend. Uh, I am talking about Jay Privman. Jay, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm I'm good overall, Pete. Obviously, it was a pretty trying weekend for the sport, um, but uh, overall, things are good. That was the question from uh, beyond the eighth race on Saturday, right through this morning, when somebody asks you how you are, you, you have to sort of choose which way you want to answer it. If you want to go there or not, I think a lot of us at some point made a pact with ourselves that at least for the sake of, um, you know, all the plans we had on Whitney night and all the people we'd get to see once a year, in many cases that we were going to half pretend it didn't happen, but, but it did happen. And what we're talking about, of course, was the, the, catastrophic breakdown of, of Maple Leaf Mel in the test stakes. And it just, I mean, we've all seen breakdowns before, but I mean, for me, um, th- this is, this is the worst I've seen. It was the worst day I've ever had at the racetrack. I've never seen anything like it with industry veterans crying and uh, the reports of the ladies room full of women crying men fainting. It was it was pretty dire over there, Jay. What um, what sense, if any, can you help me make of this? Because I came away from it, you know, not wanting to, you know, not 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 even wanting to defend the sport for once, you know, just just really a throw up my hands and feel very sick moment. Yeah, I think that's an understandable uh, reaction. Uh, you know, it was a sickening thing to see, not there was anyone's fault. It was just an awful thing. I'm sure to witness. I was watching on television. Um, I can recall Pete in the you know career that I've had two things that I saw in person that were you know analogous to what happened Saturday and that you you and everybody who was at Saratoga witnessed. One was in the early '80s. The champion two-year-old male roving boy had come off a layoff and was running in a stake at Santa Anita and uh, as now as a three-year-old and broke a hind leg passing the finish line and, and collapsed right in front of the stands. In his case, he had won the race. Um, and it was a catastrophic injury that was unsalvageable. Uh, and then obviously, I think the most obvious one that people compared uh, the Maple Leaf Mel situation too was go for wand uh, in the Breeders' Cup at Belmont in 1990, which uh, I witnessed. And I remember that day getting back to my hotel room at the end of that day, which was a not only that situation, but there had been a bad accident in the uh, sprint earlier that resulted in the deaths of two horses, Mr. Nickerson and Shaker Knit. And I just remember kind of just collapsing on the bed back at the Long Island Marriott, uh, you know, cause you're just emotionally drained from that. And I'm sure on Saturday people were having the same just pit of your stomach 
kinds of reactions to what they saw because it was just so startling. You know, here you've got a Philly going on to an apparent victory. It's such a feel-good story with the whole backstory of the trainer and the owner and all that was involved. And and then in in an instant, it goes from about the most joyous thing you were going to see this summer at Saratoga to unquestionably the worst thing uh, I would imagine you're going to see this summer. So I certainly hope there's nothing worse because that was pretty awful. Yeah. And, and that's a great point about how the story changed it and, and even, and even the wonderful coverage of the story with, and for those that don't know, just to summarize very quickly, um, Melanie Giddings, the trainer of the horse, a cancer survivor who this horse was named for, who then, uh, at some point got involved with the, with the day-to-day took over the took over the training but i think it was always extremely close to the horse and footage of her hanging out in the stall and you know the, the, like a dog basically you know in, in like that level of for, for that that level of of connection with, with the animal and and i think that's right i mean there's one this is a bizarre time to mention professional wrestling but one of the lessons i've learned from people i know in that business is that the way to upset an audience, the way to, to basically the way to be a heel, the way to get people to boo you is you give the audience what they want and then you take it away. And that's exactly what this situation was like. I mean, this was a story, um, you know, it's one of those where I, I, I had lost every bet I was going to make in the race. I didn't even care because it was like, well, that's just a great, that's a great Saratoga result. You know, what an amazing story. And then not yeah it was it was just an awful thing to see and you know you know not only the you know the backstory is one thing but then obviously it was apparent to everybody you know after she went down and then and then got up that the injury was going to be one that was going to result in her euthanization and i think you know everybody having that realization as immediate as you could when you saw, you know, the unfortunate uh, condition that she was in just added to the profound and immediate grief that there was. Yeah. Gruesome is a term I think that, that came to, to my mind and that, yeah, that, that weird in between period where they, you know, the, the, she's stricken and you know, what's going to happen. I, I mean, it's, it, it did a pit of the stomach is a good, is a good explanation of it. Now, the 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 other thing that I think just needs to be addressed to just fully you know to try to process how much this hurt was the the fact that it's in one of the you know it's the probably the second biggest day of racing at Saratoga arguably from like an industry point of view the biggest day national television and the placement of it being right there not that it would have been some feel good story by any means if it had happened elsewhere on the track but it was almost as if everything that happened was to maximize um how bad it made people who love horse racing feel yeah i i think you're right um you know those kinds of injuries are are never pleasant to witness but if it happens on the backstretch it, it's shielded a little bit from the general audience um you know this obviously wasn't that case and i think that just added to the the grief because everybody could see what was what had happened as opposed to well i wonder what's you know is she going to be okay you know when it's yeah. it's the five ace pole or something um th- this this was obviously different and 
And I think that contributed to the, uh, you know, to the understandable reactions that, that people had. The social license to operate questions I often view through the lens of my daughter, who's just really becoming a fan. There was a very funny exchange, actually, she had with my wife on Friday. Susan had to go away for work last week. So she was here and she said to Perrin, like, oh, do you want to just do a mommy-daughter day on on Saturday? And Perrin said, yeah, that, that'd be fun, Mom, but we got to go to the Whitney. <laughs> She was. You're, you're raising her right, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the question: is am I right? Like when you see something like this. But the so the good news is they did they they did come for the Whitney, but they didn't turn up till race ten. So everybody around had strict orders to. Uh, we weren't talking about that when the when the ten year old arrived right. at the track, and you know that was a great relief. But it did it did just make you know I just feel like. Look, I mean, I get it. It's, it's, I mean, people say it shouldn't be part of the game and I get that and they're right. And I don't want to make a horse racing defense, but one of the things I found myself saying like a mantra was it's the worst, it's the worst part of, of, of what we do. But I just, you know, turning to you as somebody who, you know, couldn't, couldn't respect more who's been at this for, uh, you know, longer than, than I have, who's a who's a, a hall of famer. Like, how do we, you know, is there any advice for how to recover and move on when something like this happens? You, you had those other issues to, to reflect back on from, from the Breeders' Cup and, and the, the incident at Santa Anita. How does one, how does one like recover and, and attempt to feel better? Well, I think first you need to acknowledge and process the grief. Uh, I, I think it's injurious to 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 be callous and turn the page, and and I and I think in this case, you know, there are very few people who would react that way. But I still think you need to sit with that grief and and process it uh, as you would, you know, a, 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 any other kind of death that affects you emotionally. Uh, but then try and move on from that. Um, you know, as you, I, I, there is the cliche of like, oh, it's, you know, it's part of the game. And I think that's a harder thing to just generally defend to people who don't follow racing. Uh, but as we've talked about before, you know, when you've got a performance horse endeavor, be it racing or show jumping or trail riding or anything, there is some inherent risk involved. And the only way you're ever going to completely eliminate uh, things like this is if there are no performance horse endeavors. And I think there are some uh, extreme people who would be perfectly happy with that. But there's a great love for horses in general, and the thoroughbred in particular for us, uh, that you know, we saw some of the absolute grace of, of people and the caring that they have for horses and, and their fellow people in the horse business on Sunday morning when Brendan Walsh and his assistant took the bouquet of, uh, or the, the, uh, the winner's roses, uh, flowers to Melanie's barn and, and gave them to her. Uh, you know, that I, I think was one of the most touching things I've ever seen uh, and been been aware of. Um, but, you know, 
I, I think we can only try and do the best we can to prevent injuries like this. But you know, you're never going to completely prevent horses from getting hurt. Even horses in the wild can get hurt just as easily as as horses that are competing in a race. And we've got great protocols in place uh, to try and prevent this as best we can. But there's always going to be that one tiny fraction of a percentage that 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 where this is going to happen. Um, and it's there, there's there's so many other things in life that no matter how much you try and prevent bad things from happening, uh, whether it's with an automobile or uh, you know I'm, I'm trying to be flippant and comparing the life of a racehorse to a car crash, but um, you know we can try and prevent uh, things as best we can, but there's always going to be that small fraction of a percentage that you can't control and, and things, bad things are going to happen if, if we leave our home. And, right. and, you know, that's, I think how we have to kind of process this, you know, continue to try and do the best we can, but uh, I think be soberly realistic that it, you're never, ever, ever going to completely eliminate something like this. And thank God it, it, it only happens you know, once in a, in, in a great while, cause it's, it's startling and it's awful. And it's, you know, I, I just feel terrible for all the people who, you know, like you who saw it and, and certainly more uh, on another level for the people who were directly involved with, uh, with Maple Leaf Mel's career. You made so many good points there. And one of the most important is I think for me trying not to do what I was saying we were briefly doing Saturday night, which was to try to run away from the grief. I think trying to to process it and just like work through those feelings as opposed to just pushing them aside is a, I think is a healthier attitude. And, you know, one way to do that, I think, is certainly listening to people like you, Jay, but also reading some of the stories to come out of it. And the, the Brendan Walsh um, gesture, certainly a, a, an amazing one to, to follow. And I thought, I don't know how much you've read of the reporting on this. I imagine a lot, but, you know, even though it's more in the lines of, of straight reporting, the, the job that Dave Granning did at the racing forum, I thought was terrific. And uh, Sean Clancy had a piece the other day as well that I think allows you to, you know, lean into that sadness a little bit as a way to eventually let it go and move on as opposed to just saying, okay, let's have a Yeah, I thought both those stories were excellent. And, and Dave's in particular, I had uh, highlighted on Twitter or X or whatever they're calling, yeah, it, whatever these they're calling it these days. Um, you know, but I, not only was Dave's story informative and graceful, but I, I, I thought it showed the respect that people in racing in New York have for Dave Grenning by who talked to him in the aftermath of this. Cause not everybody got to Melanie uh, and she obviously knows Dave cause he's out there every day and has earned the trust of someone like her. And she spoke to him and he also spoke to Brendan Walsh, but he also spoke to Engelhart, the, the previous trainer of uh, Maple Leaf Mel for whom Melanie had been the assistant before 
taking over. And I just thought to get all those people on the record the day after and to craft a story was just exceptional reporting. Definitely agree. How much has the attitude towards animals changed in the country since the ruffian breakdown? The other one I want to mention in the same breath with this. I mean, the, and I hate to, I hate to reduce a man's life to one quote, as I, I feel happens probably too much with uh, with Leroy Jolly. But the you know, the, the, there are still I haven't run into any of them, but I guarantee you there are still people in the game who would be flippant enough to say the equivalent of it's not a game for, for people in, in short pants. I haven't encountered that. I'm sure they still exist. Was that... And, and this is before your time too, but is, is your guess that that was as jarring? Like you can't even imagine anybody saying that today. Was it as jarring then? Has the attitude towards animals changed that much? What's, what's your take on that? So I, you know, I can't imagine anybody being that flippant now, nearly 50 years after that incident. And ho- hopefully they wouldn't be. I, I do think things have changed, Pete. And I, I think one of the reasons it's changed is because, I think there's less connection in general in society to horses than there were 50 or a hundred years ago. Uh, there are just fewer people who have contact with the animals and have, have that kind of appreciation for the animals like, like we do. And there's, there's still a number of people who have a great appreciation for horses and not just from a racing standpoint, but from, you know, trail riding and pony club and, hunter jumpers and dressage and all that. I just don't think that on a day-to-day basis, the general populace interacts with horses as much as they did, you know, 50 plus years ago. And I think that has caused the perception in general among the public to, you know, the line has moved uh, in terms of the, the, what society finds acceptable because I don't know that they have the uh, background or appreciation or the understanding of what all is involved with horse sports and horse ownership, the good and, and the unfortunate. Uh, And so I do think that things have changed uh, since the time of Ruffian. I know talking to friends from just more, agrarian backgrounds and places even about this incident nobody was insensitive but i think there was some surprise at the level of connection that the general public had and well revulsion i guess is the word that the general public had i think people who've grown up on farms and or just you know understand their the relationship to animals is that they're, they're they're every day and they're working and it's it's very different than me whose last uh, connection to to an animal you know she slept in my bed <laughs> it's just <laughs> such a different perspective right oh. and it, it yeah it's, I, uh, no I, I I and I think also just to what you were just alluding to Pete I, I I think a lot of it had to do with you know where it happened in the race and how catastrophic the injury was if you know she'd been pulled up. Uh, at the wire, uh, but had not suffered as catastrophic an injury as she did, I, I think the reaction would have been different. I'm not saying, you know, 
that people still wouldn't have been impacted by it, but I just think it would have been different. But it was so horrific what happened that I think that understandably contributed to the visceral reaction that people had to, to you know, to what they had witnessed, be it in person or or on television. Arboro's a data point to bring up. And yeah, for sure. Days later, this is the first time I thought about Barbara when you were d- just describing that, because that that I mean, that was horrendous. I mean, I took some time off after that whole thing. I, mean, I wasn't in the game then in the same way that I am now. But I just love that course so much. And, it, it you know, it, it hit really hard, but it wasn't it, the perfect word is the one that you used. It wasn't the visceral experience. And obviously that drug out over over time, too, though. I think the writing was was long on the wall. We still have some newer um, people tuning in here, Jay. And I want to go back to a very high level question that I know people I think you'll be able to answer it better than I've been trying to answer it just to the why of when a horse has a leg injury like that why it's not like a human who can come back from it why they they have to be uh, euthanized for their for you know their own there's no there's no getting past it in other words it's not like oh this is a fungible commodity so it can't run we're going to get rid of it it's not that it's it's much more complicated having to do with the physiology of a horse right and in and in the case of her she would have been uh, you know to use your words a fungible commodity as as a broodmare i'm i'm sure that if they could have saved her obviously they would have um but the most humane thing to do in that specific case was unfortunately to euthanize her. And, and the reason that that happens is because horses need to be able to stand. And when you have a catastrophic injury like that, where, you know, the fractures are so uh, significant that you can't really repair the leg. Uh, there's no way that, the horse is going to be able to, to, to stand. And if, if the horse is laying down for a long period of convalescence, they're just eventually going to colic and, and die that way. Um, and, you know, so the, you're, you're basically saying, well, you know, if somebody had the theory of, well, why don't you give them an artificial limb? Uh, you know, it, it, that is something that has been done before, but not with fractures of that catastrophic nature and you know often if a horse has a a a fracture but but the the limb is intact it's just sort of a you know a line in the bone either time off or sometimes just some surgery where you can insert some pins will enable that fracture to heal and, and the horse may be able to return to racing or if not still lead a normal life uh, post racing, but in, in this specific case, the the level of damage that was done to the lower limb was just so awful that it was just an irreparable kind of injury. And in that case, you know, trying to do surgery is just not going to go anywhere well. And you're basically going to make the animal suffer longer if you tr- even attempted to do something like that because they're going to eventually perish from colic or if they try and if they somehow could stand they're going to end up getting most likely laminitis which is what ended up being the end result with barbara was you who you were just referencing a few minutes ago so 
that's why in in this specific case on Saturday, that was the most humane uh, thing. You know, one thing, Pete, just just by comparison, you you had brought up Ruffian. You know, as you may remember or read, you know, she had surgery. Uh, her, her fracture was one that they thought they could repair, and they did surgery on her. And the reason they ended up having to put her down is because when she came out of the anesthesia, she's just started thrashing about so much that she refractured the limb worse than than what had happened in, in the race injury. And then at that point, they had to put her down. But at the time, they thought that they were going to be able to save her. Uh, you know, in the initial aftermath of the of the of the injury in the match race against foolish pleasure. That's a very important point to, to note and, and, a, and a big difference and sort of all gets back to um, why it's so difficult to try to save horses in these situations and why most often the result that we saw is the, is the most humane one. And even for folks who knew all of that, Jay, I think the way you framed it will help people in the industry to describe it to others who are not going to intuitively get the why that is the right why that is the 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 humane thing to do i hate to say the right thing to do but it's i suppose that's correct too all right i want to ask you about another industry issue but i we need a palate cleanser here after this my friend so i want to ask you you're you're retired now you're out in del mar i saw you there i got to see you out there briefly but yes. uh, how's, how's the summer been going for you what's been going on with you yeah it's been a it's been a fun summer the weather's been great the racing here has been sensational uh it's just really been an, an enjoyable meet and i've been going out probably about half the time uh for the, I, I think i've been in attendance on half the cards and the other half i, I, I watch from home but I actually, Pete, had a really fun thing this morning. I, you know, I've been friends with Ron McAnally basically since I came around the racetrack because the first major horse that I covered right out of college was John Henry uh, and, you know, was witness to his two big cap wins and his horse of the year campaigns. And I was at the Arlington Million when he won it at age nine in 1984 and all that. So, you know, Ron McAnally's got four horses. Uh, he's 91. He turned 91 on uh, July 11th. He, he was born on 7-11. So uh, he should be at the craps table, but he's, uh, he, he, um, and I just spent the morning with him. I, I went out early this morning and just, uh, he, he's had the same kind of perch on the second level of his barn that he, he oversees the three quarter pole or more like the five and a half pole at, at Del Mar. So he can see horses coming out of the six furlong chute and then galloping around the racetrack from where he's at. And we just watched his horses and, and some other horses train this morning and just had a nice visit and talked about some old memories that we had of uh, winning races. At, at One thing we was talking about was when he won the Beverly D for uh, Dick Duchessois. Uh, with a horse that he had bought in Europe and how much that meant for Mr. Duchess to win a race name for his late wife. Uh, so that was among the things that we went down memory lane on this morning. So that I'm able to do stuff like that. And it's really kind of fun because in the past I'd maybe stop by Mac and Allie's barn and say hello, but I had to keep moving because like Dave Grenning does every morning at Saratoga, <laughs> I had to see other people for stories uh, that I needed to write in addition to talking to Mac and Allie. And now it, 
in my current situation, it affords me the time to just sort of be able to sit for an hour and a half with, you know, a, a true legend of the sport. It's really gratifying to be able to do that. Yeah. News writing is not feature writing where you, thank you for that. That was a great palate cleanser. I appreciate you asking. <laughs> well, it's, and, and it makes me feel good because it speaks to the, it speaks to the hold that the game has. I mean, 91 years old could be doing anything. And we've talked about this before. Sometimes, uh, you know, I think this concept of work-life balance with great reason has become of a lot of concern to, uh, to especially younger members of the workforce. Not, it's not unique to the young people that they care about work-life balance. Hell, I've been trying to work on it a little bit too. But in racing, I'm not even sure it exists. It is your life for so many people, especially trainers, right, who are out there every day. But it's there's something that warms me that he's now like just completely doing this by choice. I mean, that, that, that's got to speak to the pull that, that horses have on us and the relationship between human and equine that's at the center of everything we do. Oh, and he, I mean, he absolutely loves his horses. They've given him everything in his life. You know, you were, you know, he was orphaned as a young boy, he and his siblings and, kind of ran away to the circus as a teenager to go to work for his uncle, Reggie Cornell. And he's been now coming to Del Mar for over 70 years. Uh, so, uh, and, and as you just alluded to, I, I think quite appropriately, Pete, it, it's not just a, a job when you're on the racetrack. It, it really is a lifestyle. The hours that you put in, the demands that it takes. Uh, it, it's not punching at, at nine on Monday and till five, uh, five days a week and weekends off. That's just not the nature of it. So it is a lifestyle. And it's one that in the case of Ron McAnally has, has been his lifestyle for 75 years. And, and that's what he wants to do uh, from now until he, he can't do it anymore. That's amazing. All right. We have another not as fun thing to talk about, trivial compared to the first 25 minutes of the show. I'll say that. I mean, I, I believe that, but not trivial is the wrong word because it's important. It's just, you know, by compare, it's trivial by comparison, but it's really important. And, and I don't know what kind of statement we're going to get on this. Um, but what happened yesterday at Saratoga uh, in terms of the, the pick five, I suppose what happened is the jockeys didn't think the turf course was safe. And there were incidents that, uh, you know, spoke to that. And I'm sure getting that decision made takes time. There's stakeholders, there's people who have to get involved. But to, to make the decision to move the races off the turf with, I, I think it was at post time before the pick five, and then therefore not giving anyone chances to change tickets. In some cases, people couldn't even get their tickets canceled in the little amount of time that they had. I, I mean, I honestly, I, I just, I don't know what was thinking, I, but it's disgraceful. And the horse players are, are owed an apology and every penny of handle that was collected on that pick five should be donated to charity. I'll say that. I'll say that forcefully. What's your understanding of what went on there? Have you seen incidents like that before? What, what do you make of it? Well, regretfully, I have seen incidents like that before. And, you know, to me, they're inexcusable. So it's my understanding just from, you know, having watched it go down uh, as it happened that 
they announced the surface switches uh, for three of the, the three grass races that were part of that sequence with one minute to post for the first leg yes. of, of the sequence. So it, it basically became a five race daily double. Yes. I mean, that's, that's what it became because three of the races became all wins. And what to me was just very poorly done and whether this was the stewards or the mutual department uh, at Naira or some combination thereof, there should have been some awareness that players are going to be impacted by this. Let's have the horses take a few turns behind the gate before we put them in so that you can either cancel your bets or redo your bets because if I now I wasn't involved in the bet, but if I was, I might have wanted to cancel, or you know, I might not have wanted to play. I, I don't want to play a five race daily double, <laughs> so I might yes. I probably would have just tapped out and said I'll just take my money back. Uh, but to to put him in the gate right away after making that announcement, I just thought really showed a lack of respect towards the horse players, and I know you know from my experience in New York and also from, you know, all that I know from talking to people back there that there's pretty much, even though there's three stewards, there's one who kind of rules the roost there. And that board of stewards and that one steward in particular, the, 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 the state gaming and uh, commission steward, you know, needs to be aware that something if something like this happens you you got to give the players a chance and it just showed a complete lack of uh, acknowledgement that your salary <laughs> and everything that is uh, financially that's driven uh, from in this game comes from the people who you are about to really uh, treat poorly pick their pockets. I mean, I'll say it. And, and, you know, this is awkward for me. And you make a great point that in a sense, Naira could just be, could be victim to, to other decisions being made. I don't know all the politics, which is why I'm, you know, one of the reasons why I, I do think that the, the, the charitable donation angle um, might have some legs and, and show some good intention. I don't understand how all the politics work. And obviously, you know, Naira clients, I mean, it's, I'm not gaining a lot here, by uh, harshly criticizing one of our important clients, but I, I feel like I lose all credibility if I don't in this instance. But and if they wanted to, you know, do more of an explanation, feel free. My my airwaves would be would be very open to them. But had there been, I mean, I get it's complicated. You're at the gate, and really, what you need at the least, you need what you described, Jay, a few minutes to decide I'm going to play or, or or I'm not going to play. But couldn't they have just? Look, there's 37 minutes between races. Couldn't you have had like a proper 15 minute delay and gotten scratches and then given people a chance to to do tickets? I mean, I don't know. I guess it's not great to have horses out there for 15 minutes, but isn't it better than than what ended up happening? I, do you think there's any validity to, to that idea? I mean, with 37 minutes between races, you can easily catch up a 15 minute window and, and save whatever you're doing for television, I would think. Yeah, I, I would just tweak what you said slightly in terms of what my reaction to that is. At the time that they announced it, they should have, you know, allowed the horses to just loiter back there for another couple minutes at least. But the thing, and this is kind of a corollary of what you just brought up, Pete. You know, there were a number of riders, I'm sure, in that race 
that was the first leg in the sequence who had expressed their opinions to the people entrusted with making the decision to pull those other three races off the grass, you know, and then went out there. So why this announcement was made with one minute to post, that to me is is the, the problem. So you talk about like giving them 15 minutes. Well, yeah, it should have been announced 15 minutes before the scheduled post time. Yes. Because that, that decision, you know, the, the, the uh, concerns of the jockeys had to be expressed, you know, long before the announcement was made. And it, it shouldn't have taken until one minute to post to make that decision and make it public. And if you do wait, so, so there's two things that could have happened here and neither did. Either make the announcement early, like, you know, to use your, I think, reasonable example, 15 minutes before the scheduled post time, and that gives people plenty of time to, to make decisions. Or if for whatever reason, the decision's not made until one minute till post, you better at least make those horses take a couple of turns behind the gate. And like you said, you don't want them to be out there for an extended period of time, but if they take, you know, another couple of minutes to take a turn, it at least gives people a chance to adjust accordingly. Uh, But the way it was handled uh, was just very poor. And I'm sure that, you know, I would, I'm not sure. I would imagine there's other parties and 16 different people that have to have 15 different conversations. And, and that would be their excuse for having this come one minute to post, but fix your processes. I mean, we saw this with the, you know, it reminds me of the modern game situation a little bit, just in terms of, well, well, but that's what the process is. We'll fix the process. It's, I mean, you know, you can't have this stuff coming down on, on, on the player's dime. I just, I just, it's very upsetting. I mean, you know, totally different deal Friday, but you know, I, I wasn't thrilled with how that was handled from a player's perspective anyway, but this is the much more clear example of something that was done that really, we need some, we need to talk about it with, with our pals there. And, and, you know, and I understand, I mean, I do think something can still be done about this in terms of let's like try to earmark that money for something that we can all feel feel good about but make it a little bit easier to move on but also if we could get some clarification about new procedures that are going to keep this from happening again because it's, it's unacceptable and especially now when the gambling market space is more competitive than ever it's a really bad time for racing to give the one up four down to its core customers yeah i i don't <laughs> you know i don't know the sequence of how the decision was made but you know, whether Naira could have uh, delayed the post a couple more minutes or if they were receiving uh, some interference from the stewards booth, you know, I, I don't know. I would love to see a report from that, um, you know, based on what I can now tell as an end user, the the, the gaming and uh, wagering board is uh, not very forthcoming with information and Stewart's explanations there are on a sort of need to know basis, it seems. And that to me is, is inexcusable. And, you know, I, I've seen a lot of things that Naira has done to try and benefit the horse player. And I, I know which way I would lean towards assuming what happened on, uh, on Sunday. And I hope regardless of who 
was at fault or what percentage of those entities were at fault, they need to, again, be reminded that their salaries are based on the people that you just were injurious to and maybe think a little more about them as well than, than you did in that case. No better way to say it. Jay, thank you so much. I promise next time we can try to do a little bit more like the middle portion of the show, <laughs> a little bit less like the beginning and end portion of the show. But again, can't think of anybody I'd rather talk about these kind of serious industry issues with. Really appreciate your time today. Oh, my pleasure, Pete. Thank you. For Jay Privman, I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. We'll be back with our normal early week show probably tomorrow, but really wanted to get this out in the ether now. And uh, thanks to all of you, the listeners, for supporting us through all these years. We'll be back very soon. May you win all your photos.